0: We are very glad that you're here with us this morning as we continue the series, Witnesses, as we've been talking about kind of the launch of the church. Last week in Acts chapter 2, Luke, this historian who wrote two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, Luke um, recorded for us the first Kind of the first Christian sermon, in a sense. The first public sermon preached after the, after the resurrection of Jesus. So he was able to preach the gospel, and 3,000 responded. The church was off to this powerful, powerful launch. Uh, amazing stuff. The Spirit of God was poured out on these people from all over uh, the ancient Roman world who had gathered for the Jewish festival of Shavuot, as we know it uh, to be Pentecost, And uh, they were filled with the Spirit burning for Jesus. You know, there was a thought, I think, by some when Jesus was crucified, weeks before Peter rose to preach, uh, when they crucified Jesus, they thought, we can extinguish the flame, extinguish the flame, douse the flame of Jesus, His teaching, His ministry. But what happened was quite the opposite. Weeks later, here at this festival, uh, even though Jesus has been crucified He was then raised, and now we have 3,000 people giving their hearts to Jesus, being baptized into his name. So thousands of people burning for Jesus. Instead of dousing the flame, uh, they basically poured gasoline on it because it brought about the resurrection. Now, I get it. Church by a lot of people these days, is seen in kind of a negative light. You know, those people, the judgmental ones or the ones who are condemning everyone, the the ones who are out of touch with what's going on in our culture. Uh, A lot of people think that way about church. Uh, They like Jesus, but they don't so much like uh, His church. Now, I think the call of this Witnesses series of what Luke writes for us in the book of Acts is a call to get back to being that church to being that church that is on fire for the Lord, being that church that cares for the needs of every brother and sister who's a part of our family, uh, be that church that just is burning for Jesus. And we really do need to be that church. Um, the whole, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church anywhere, is unproductive, unhealthy. Unfulfilling and frankly unbiblical. So we need to get away from that idea and rediscover the beauty of the church. Famous uh, pastor D.L. Moody. One time, who influenced so many in in Chicago and beyond, one time he was in the home of a leading citizen of Chicago. One bitter winter day, they were there in the home, and this fellow remarked to D.L. Moody, look, I don't see the importance of the church. I can be just as good of a Christian outside the church as I can inside the church Moody then walked with this man over to the fireplace where this this inferno was blazing against the cold of the winter day outside. And Moody simply took a pair of tongs, reached in and grabbed one of the burning embers from in that fire, moved it out to the edge of the hearth. And the two men simply stood there and watched as that ember slowly began to die and then the flame within it was completely extinguished And the man looked at Moody and said, I see. We need each other. We need to be together. And that is the genius and the beauty of the body of Christ. That group that Jesus founded of disciples who together fire each other up and keep each other going, walking in the faith. Now what I won't tell you is that this church is the only church around who has it all figured out because... It isn't, and we haven't. <laughs> it isn't the only church around who's got it figured out, and we certainly haven't got it all figured out. But what I can tell you is this is a church that is known for two things. We, we burn for Jesus. We have a passion for God. And the other thing, we have a compassion for For people. Those things you can be sure are the big identifiers of who we are here at Preston Crest. We feel a little bit warmer when we're together, and we burn a little bit brighter because we are walking together at Preston Crest. We certainly recognize that we are better together. Now, just, I was thinking as I was working on this the, through the text this week and stuff, I was just thinking, okay, So, and think with, with me on this. There's not a right answer here, at least one that I, I mean, we can quantify. But how many, this past seven days, this past week, how many hundreds of prayers were prayed by members of this congregation for other members of this congregation? How many hundreds of times did we lift each other up in prayer this week? How many hundreds or thousands of messages via text or Facebook or over the phone or over a cup of coffee? How many thousands of words of encouragement were given one another here within the church to fire each other up, to help each other get through a tough time, to comfort someone who'd suffered a loss or someone who's going through a difficult time? Uh, Words of instruction, words of building. How many of those, how many ministry opportunities did we experience together as the body of Christ at Preston Christ this past week as we were launched out into our mission field of Dallas, Texas. The fire of Jesus Christ burns here, folks. It really does. Now, I know that church can be difficult at times, and one of the reasons it's difficult for us to be together as a body of believers is we are so different. I mean, this is the mosaic that God has put together of different people. We are at Preston Crest, for example, we are all over the age spectrum. We have people all over the political spectrum. We have people all over the personality spectrum. We have people all over the race and culture spectrum. And that may make things a little more difficult at times for us to be united and to walk together. But it is certainly one of the distinctive things about the body of Christ and one of the most beautiful things about his family. So church is a little bit like a a hot dog, I guess you could say. Um, Do you guys like hot dogs? I mean, it's un-American not to, right? We love hot dogs. And while hot dogs are awesome, the ingredients are a little bit sketchy. I think church is kind of like that. Church is a wonderful thing, but the ingredients... Well, you know, it's funny the materials, the raw materials that God has chosen to work with in building His church. And I don't know if this is—I don't—I don't don't know if this is the right moment to share this, but it kind of seems like it is. But I'm reading a book right now. I'll tell you about that book in just a second and what I've been learning, but. Um, it's interesting what I'm reading right now because what I've heard or what you hear are these words on YouTube or in the news or stuff in our culture about how bad religion has been, how bad Christianity, how many bad things over the centuries Christians have been doing. And I would say, number one, a lot of the stuff is really, speaking of sketchy, a lot of the historical accuracy of those comments are, are pretty sketchy at best. But certainly some people have used, over the ages, religion Um, Some fanatics have used religion or used the name of God or the idea of God to advance their own agendas, nationalistic agendas, personal agendas. Um, But I would say this, whenever believers, whenever believers have been moved by Jesus, they have contributed to society's good. They have contributed to the common good. So the book I'm reading right now is a book about a really evil and wicked person. You may or may not have heard of him. His name is Joseph Goebbels. He was one of the the inner circle of the Nazi party, one of the closest friends of Adolf Hitler. And he was the Nazi propaganda minister throughout the reign of the Third Reich. And it's interesting. As I've been reading this biography, it's like 3,000 pages long. As I've been reading this guy's biography, the church keeps... Popping up. And the church, by the way, for Joseph Goebbels was not a good thing. In in his life and in the life of the Nazi leaders, the church was a thorn in their side. Um, They were constantly arresting Christians, throwing Christians into concentration camps, killing Christians, creating laws to try to tamp down the influence of the church. In the face of evil, though, the church has been making courageous stands throughout the centuries. With respect to the Nazi party, one of the many times that they experienced um, difficulties because of the church was with respect to their T4 program, which didn't last very long, and I'll tell you why it didn't last very long, but it, it was one of the, the beginnings of the killings for the Nazis. They thought they could make a better world by killing people, okay? Um, So the T4 program was euthanasia. It was, let's find people who are seriously mentally handicapped. They are a drain on our economy. They are a drain on our race. And let's exterminate them. That was the T4 program. Some of you may be Googling that right now. Google that later, okay? You can read about that later. But the T4 program, one of the the major reasons the Nazis had to cancel, they tried to keep it secret. They knew it would be scandalous if word got out about this program. Well, it got out, and church leaders began to preach against it, began to write against it, began to make a big stink in Germany about the evil of this program, and so the Nazis simply had to cut it out. Later on, of course, more famously with the Holocaust, they began killing Jews. They began killing in mass different minority groups. This time, church leaders spoke out. They were not, I guess you could say, air quotes, successful. They spoke out and they gave their lives because they spoke out against that evil, but they were not able to stop the Nazis from that. Um, by the way, thinking about the church and society across the pond in the UK, um, uh, Decades and decades ago, guess why slavery stopped? It stopped because the church rose up against it. William, William Wilberforce, a member of Parliament, along with John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, they led the church and used their resources of faith and their networks as believers to stamp out slavery in the United Kingdom. So, the church, whenever it's moved by the love of Christ, does amazing things. Does amazing things. Now, the um, in fighting societal evils, and you know this, in fighting society, societal evils, sometimes the church is successful. Sometimes we see the outcomes. We believe honor God and honor people. Sometimes we are not successful in terms of outcomes. And this is a very important thing for us to acknowledge this morning. Success isn't really the way that we keep score. Now, the way Americans scoreboard things is using success, right? Successful business deals, um, winning football teams, um, all this kind of stuff. Success is what really matters to Americans. Now, don't get me wrong. We certainly want to be successful in our crusades against evil. Of course we do. But whether or not we get the outcomes we desire or the comes that benefit the world for the glory of Christ, whether or not we are successful or not, um, we, the church of Jesus, are called to be faithful. So we may fight some losing battles. We will, and we always have. We may fight some winning battles. But the important thing is we are going to be faithful to our call as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this is so important, because while we want to be successful our scoreboard is not success, but is our faithfulness, even when the outcomes are not the ones we would hope to see. I hope that makes sense, but I think that's an important point to make. Now, you know this. I know this. We live in a fallen world. We were created in God's image. God imagined that we would live in this beautiful world free of sin and, and, and free of pain and sickness, but we chose to rebel against God as it did our predecessors, Adam and Eve, so the world's a fallen world, on a macro level, a big 30,000 feet view in our society, we, God's church, the redeemed, the ones who are about this project of redemption and restoration and bringing people back to that beautiful image of God, restoring all things. We are salt. We are light in this world, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's in politics, whether it's in literature or art, whether it's in um, architecture or education. We are all about creating and building and engaging the culture in ways that bring a fallen culture back to God. That's this macro level of the church, salt and light and culture. On a a micro level, in individual relationships, we are helping people. We're helping each other. We're encouraging each other. We serve. We mentor. um, We minister to help each individual move into their fullness in Christ. So just to be clear, when we talk about the importance of the church, we are not talking about attending church. We're not talking about going to church. Listen, we will never change the world by going to church. We will change the world by being the church, okay? Okay? Now, going to church, yeah, that's part of being the church, right? Attending church is important, right? But that's not our goal. Our, our goal is to be the body of believers that is the church, the one in whom his spirit burns. And so back to this idea of the scoreboard, our health as a church will not be measured in how many people fill our pews, but in how many of those people Jesus is filling that's our measurement of success. Is Jesus filling us up like He did those sisters and brothers in the first century? So we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 this morning. and Luke is going to take off, uh, take up where he left off. He left off with 3,000 people giving their lives to Jesus. So we have this powerful launch of, of the body of Christ, of the church. and he's going to pick up there, and he's going to give us a gorgeous vision of what it looks like to be the church, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when I say the church is, is like a hot dog, it's awesome but has kind of sketchy ingredients. I mean, the sketchy part is us, right? I mean, we're, we're the thing. It's like, God, What? Yeah, I get using angels to proclaim your glory. I, I get using the creation, the mountains, and the universe to declare your glory. But us? I mean, using broken people like us? Yes. That's how God works. In weird and wonderful ways. And sometimes weird and wonderful do go together. Not always. But sometimes they do. I was having, I, to, I told first service, I'm, um, I had a lunch a while back with one of our missionary partners, Javier León, that's been involved in Hispanic church plants around the Metroplex. And so we're having lunch. And I spent 10 years doing mission work in Brazil. And he's done his work in Spanish. So we're doing this whole lunch where he's speaking Spanish and I'm speaking Portuguese. And we're sort of kind of communicating. But we're over at Spring Spring Creek Barbecue having lunch. And he got the ribs. So he has this rack of ribs. And we're eating and we're talking. And he tells me these ribs are esquisitas which I learned in Spanish means these ribs, Gordon, these ribs are exquisite in Portuguese, esquisita means weird (laughs) so we're having this conversation and he's like, these ribs, Gordon these ribs are weird and I'm looking at him going, really? because you're gobbling those things down and I don't know, man well Maybe there's a lesson there. Weird and exquisite can marry very nicely. And that happens, I think, in the church. So here's one of the weird but in a good way things about the church. Write this down on the outline. It's this contradiction, this tension we see in the early church that Luke talks about. It is this, that that church grew larger and grew smaller at the same time. Healthy things, we know this, healthy things grow if you have tomato plants in your garden. Hopefully this year they have grown and the little tomatoes have grown from little tiny green specks to big old ripe beautiful tomatoes on that plant. Uh, People grow. Um, You hope that your baby grows up and learns to walk and talk, and and you hope that as an adult they grow into maturity. As as an adult, Um, church is the same way. Church is healthy when it grows, but its growth is both in terms of growing larger and growing smaller. Look at what was happening in that passage. Look at what was happening in Jerusalem. They were growing in number. Every day, God is sending more people there to the church. They're giving their lives to Christ. They're growing. Uh, they're enjoying favor with all of the people. So that whole city and region is like, look at them. They're amazing. So they're growing in their impact. At the same time, they're growing smaller. Luke is like, they're not just meeting in the temple courts in these large celebrations and prayer services. They're meeting around dinner tables. They're meeting one on one in each other's lives. They're growing larger. Yes, that crowd of Christians is getting bigger and they're growing smaller. Do you get it? Small groups, one-on-one gatherings, they're encouraging each other. Luke says that every day their numbers are growing and he tells us in verse 46 they're also growing by having small gatherings as well. Big moments of celebration, small moments around dinner tables. Let's get specific about what that means here at Preston Crest in our church family. I think Preston Crest should be the biggest little church in Dallas. We want to be the biggest little church. We want God to send more people. We want to grow in number. We want to grow in influence. We also want to grow smaller. More small groups, more ministry teams, more... more. Prayer and coffee, more more of that as well. We need to be intentional about growing larger, and we need to be intentional about growing smaller at the same time. That's why we not only value, you know, worship times, where hundreds of us on Sunday mornings to get together and burn for Jesus in our praise, but we also value our connections and our small groups and our ministry groups. Um, by the way, there is a new... Okay, this is bonus material here. Um, there is a new connection called Engage Newly Married. Okay, Engage Newly Married, that group has been around here forever, but we relaunch it about every two years because after two years, that group is neither engaged nor newly married. I mean, when their kids are shaving, it's probably time not... It's a, so we have a new engaged newly married class Which is meeting across the street And if, if that seems like your category And we're engaged or we just got married That would be a great connection to check out If you don't already have one So the early church They're meeting in the temple courts They're meeting in each other's homes They're growing larger, they're growing smaller At the same time And there are so many ways that that is happening here right now The best thing that I think I can do Is to just give you an example uh, Jesse Chestnut And Riley Chestnut, their two boys, Rowan and Riker, uh, they came here just a short time ago, about three years ago, came through PC Connect, and they've gotten very involved in the life of this church. And I think their story is kind of this microcosm, it's kind of this example of how this beauty works when people come into God's family. Let's listen to them in a short video.
1: got married and uh, we're coming up on 10 years.
2: We started looking for a church and he said, well, it has to be Church of Christ. I was, okay, first time I'd ever heard of that. And through kind of a mom's group and um, a cloth diapering group, I met several moms who all went to the same church. It just so happened to be a Church of Christ, which to me was kind of strange because I had never even heard of Church of Christ. And then here's five families who all go to Church of Christ, who all go to the same church.
1: Certainly, everyone was, was welcoming, and, and you know those families that initially invited us—you know, we here and we're happy to see us. And then uh, we got to meet their friends.
2: We're pretty outgoing people. We're outgoing, so it's not super hard for us to make friends. But it's a bigger church than we were used to. But there was all different ways for us to get plugged in. We are, I mean, covered in tattoos. Um, the one on my face.
1: It seemed like a good idea at the time. It did.
2: It did. It really did. I think for me tattoos were an outlet when I was younger.
1: I was in the army and I thought it was cool. <laughs> That's
2: why I got. I've had a few of the older women in first service come up to me and say how much they love my artwork. And they, um, one person asked me why I always wore long sleeves. Um, and I usually try to keep most of them covered for more of a distraction standpoint. And she told me that I need to roll up my sleeves and show people what they are, because she likes them.
1: I don't think we're on the fringe of society by, by any means, but I think the more people that you have that look different, that don't look you know, the, the same cookie cutter, I think that the church is doing the right thing. We started serving in the children's ministry, and it's just kind of been a gradual progression from there.
2: Youth group is something that we've been involved in and i think one of the biggest reasons i was saved was because of the youth group you know not having the family that went to church and that's what we did i went with friends and that's that's when i was baptized in the summer
1: one of the biggest sort of awakenings for me was was Friends speak you know we don't have to travel halfway around the world these people are already here and and many of them have never cracked a bible in, in their life and I'll, I'll say if if people are not serving in the ministry youth is a is an excellent <laughs> opportunity if you're not serving in a ministry, Friendspeak is an incredible opportunity. <laughs> if you're not serving in a ministry, the children's ministry is an incredible opportunity. So we've been here for, at Preston Crest for three or four years, and we're looking for a church family. And, uh, and now some of my best friends are, are here. That's it. Now some of my best
0: friends are here. I like that. It's good. And one thing I love, I mean, to be, if you know them, you love them because they're just have a contagious joy and put smiles on people's faces. But one thing I love about them is they kind of illustrate what it looks like to really become a difference maker in the kingdom of God, what it, what it looks like to contribute to this family that we've been talking about this morning. Um, and and let's, let's talk about this. This is on your outline this morning. Very simply, here's what it means. Um, we are at our best as a church when each one of us intentionally reaches up, reaches in, and reaches out. And that's part of our vision at Preston Crest to do this in all of our ministries. We're either re- reaching up, reaching in, reaching out, or we're doing some combination of that. Um, the very first thing that, that Luke says when he describes this group in Jerusalem in verse 42, he says they were devoted. They were devoted to life together. They were devoted to being in each other's lives. I think it's a fair question. As we think about they were devo- What what are we devoted to? Um, and you can't be devoted to 30 different things. You can be, maybe you can be devoted to a few different things. Your kids, your spouse. Um, you're devoted to your business. Maybe you're devoted to your golf game. But I think, I, think that, I think it just raises the question, what am I devoted to? They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to their community. Um, Jesse and Riley are having an impact here because they've devoted themselves to this family of, of believers. They've been intentional about what they're doing here. And that's what we see in the Jerusalem church. They're, they're a devoted group. They're a group that's on fire. Um, They didn't see the church as just a place to show up on a Sunday morning or as a competing set of agenda items that were cramming their calendars each week. They were devoted to this idea of being God's family and honoring Him and caring for each other. So what it meant for them and what it means for us, the very first thing is that we are going to be about reaching up, connecting with God. That's what that means, reaching up. And we connect to the Lord in large and small settings by learning together, prayer together, worshiping together. In the Lord, we have a power source outside of ourselves. Look, there are a lot of groups. There are a lot of nonprofits uh, at work in society. and, And some of these, a lot of these do a lot of good things. But there is only one group like this where they are connected to a resource outside themselves. Any other group that gets together, they're they're pooling their talents, they're pooling their resources. Amen, that's great. When the church gets together, we have God pouring into us. We not only have our common bank accounts and our common gift sets and talents and all of that stuff, we have the Spirit of God at work in us, And that is a key difference. We reach up because it is in the Lord that we find forgiveness. And it is because of the forgiveness He's offered us that we can offer kindness, compassion, and forgiveness to a broken world around us. The earliest believers were committed to reaching up. Um, and we see that in how they were. One of the things they were devoted to that Luke tells us us they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. For us, that's a devotion to the Word of God. They were serious about the Word of God. They wanted to know it and understand it like the back of their hand. Um, One way they expressed devotion to God was by loving His Word. Um, They were reaching up when they took each other's needs and burdens before the Father's throne in prayer. They reached up when they gathered together to worship and praise and sing as a body of believers. And next, we see this at work in their community and in our community. We're better together when we reach in. So reach in. We are building an uncommon community. That's a nice way of saying a weird group, right? Um, We're building an uncommon community, growing deeper in connection with each other through fellowship and sacrificial service to one another's needs. Fellowship and sacrificial service to one another's needs. Reaching up is connecting to God, reaching in is being uh, intentional about being in each other's lives, connecting to each other. The Jerusalem church wasn't a lone ranger church. They were You couldn't take one ember out and pull it away from the fire and expect it to continue burning. You can't expect that to happen today. They were in it together. They were firing each other up. Um, no matter what, they were in each other's lives. And one thing that should get our attention here, one thing that's remarkable, is the way that God brought so many people together from so many different walks of life. Remember, Jerusalem was just crowded with people from all of these different nations and backgrounds. I mean, this, the church, this is the first body of people in history that brought together Jews and Gentiles, that brought together as equals rich and poor, that brought together as equals slaves and freemen. This is the church. That's good weird right there. And it's funny, Luke's account of what was going on in that church, as you read that, and you may have even had some sort of reaction to it as we read that passage earlier, his account of what was happening in that church, it either inspires you or it kind of scares you a little bit. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods, giving to anyone as he had need. Some have seen that passage and come to the conclusion, that's communist right there. That's communism. Well, I'll tell you, I think this passage should make capitalists and communists a little uncomfortable, I really do. Because something different is going on that doesn't fit into our human categories. Communists would know. They would say, absolutely not, because the number one thing that community was about was the Lord. They're not comfortable with that, and capitalists, yeah, all that sharing, all that sharing makes capitalists a little bit uncomfortable. The thing is, the church doesn't fit into our categories, does it? I mean, there are all of these organizations and institutions out there doing varying degrees of good. The church fundamentally isn't, it fundamentally isn't an institution or an organization, when the New Testament is using images to describe the church, it uses these organic images. It uses the image of, of a body. Or it uses the image of a flock. It's led by pastors or shepherds. It uses the image of it uses the image of, of a family. Those are that's what the church is. It's not an organization or an institution, really. Um, It's an uncommon community. It is different. So keep it weird, Preston Crest. Keep it weird. Um, The other day I'm having a conversation, or I was having a conversation with a member of our benevolence team, and we have a fantastic ministry at this church. Very behind the scenes, okay? But a massive ministry in terms of, of the funding of this ministry, in terms of the work they do, but very behind the scenes. A benevolence ministry of caring for people's needs, starting with the needs of our own brothers and sisters. So having a conversation. We're just talking about uh, different people who are being helped by this ministry. And he was talking about one particular case. A woman here who's been helped for for years has received a lot of financial assistance and other assistance from the Preston Crest Church. She's part of our family but has not regularly attended worship here in some years because she just can't. Her life is a massive struggle. Um... Number one on that list would be serious mental illness. And if, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about there, then you know everything else is affected, okay? Serious mental illness, therefore big relationships issue, issues and, and, and isolation from her own family members, um, big-time financial issues because she's not able to cope. Uh, big time, other health issues going on in her life, and so we're just we're talking about this about this woman, and, and he said he's he's having a conversation with somebody about her, and they're asking a pretty obvious question. I mean, doesn't she? I mean, we're giving so much to her, we're helping her so much. It's been going on for years. Doesn't she have a family? I mean, who are her people? And he said, "We're her people. We're her people." And there are several, there are several here who, who are kind of like that, who you're just going to be helping them and helping them, and there's not necessarily an end in sight, and that may seem crazy, that may seem frustrating, but we're not checking out on each other, are we, because we're family. Now, you may think, wow, well, that's a bleak picture. These people who you're just saying they're never going to get better, you've given up on them or whatever? Well, first of all, you know it's true. You know there are people who have serious either chronic physical illness or mental illness and they're just not going to ever really get their life on track. You know that's true. And no. We are the only group on earth that hasn't given up on them because we know the truth that one day in this restoration-redemption project, Jesus will return and make everything right. There will be no more mental illness. There will be no more cancer. I hate cancer. There will be no more depression. There will be no more unemployment. Jesus will make everything right. And in the here and now, hey, amen. When we can help a couple who's having serious marriage problems get their marriage back on track. That's success and we love it. Amen, when we can help a brother or sister find a job. Amen, when we can pray somebody through their chemotherapy and see them get back on their feet and back to doing the things they love to do. Amen, but amen, when we help a brother or sister that simply in this current fallen world is not going to get better. In fact, maybe amen allowed us to that. When we simply serve each other, even when we don't see the outcomes we would like to see, because we are in it together no matter what. And so this group in Acts chapter 2, they didn't go to church. They were the church. They lived it. They were involved in each other's lives, even when things were difficult. They were laughing together and praying together and eating together. By the way, they're always eating together in the New Testament. I like that personally. Um, They're worshiping together. They're sharing together. Um, So each one of us in a strong church, each one is involved in reaching in, in reaching in. Now finally, the third bullet point there, we reach out. And we're not going to talk specifically like about evangelism strategies or big programs or campaigns that we can do. We're going to talk about, first and foremost, how the church reaches out by just being the church. By being this witness that God is up to something in the world. Showing the world an alternative vision of reality. A little piece of heaven. Right here in this fallen world. So reaching out. The world will see and hear the truth of Christ through the powerful witness of our life together. Luke told us that these believers were this uncommon mosaic of people and that they, in verse 47, in his words, were enjoying the favor of all the people. So people who weren't part of that community... um, people who didn't believe all the stuff that they believed, even those people around Jerusalem in that day and time, they looked at that community and said, wow, something special is happening there. That's that's pretty cool what's going on there. Enjoyed favor with all the people. The people around the church, the society around them, the neighborhoods around them held them in very high esteem, and I think that is a beautiful thing. They thought things like, look at them. Look at how different they are, um, but how much they love each other. The world around them looked at them and thought, I just can't get over how they take care of each other. Whether they're in financial needs or or have sicknesses, There, they take care of each other. The world around them thought, you know, I may not agree with their doctrine. I may not agree with their beliefs. I certainly don't agree that Jesus was raised from the dead, but I admire their enthusiasm and their devotion to Jesus. The world noticed what was going on in that community and so the culture held them up in in high esteem, favored them. The believers had favor with people outside the community. That means, for one thing, it means they were rubbing shoulders with folks in the community, okay? They hadn't severed ties and moved off into the mountains or something. They were there rubbing elbows with the, the unbelievers around them. They were building bridges in the community. As one of our elders told me one time, I think it's a really cool vision of who, who we should be. He said, you know, I hope, Gordon, he said, this may sound like a little weird, but I hope we're the kind of church that if we like suddenly just were erased, I mean, we suddenly didn't exist anymore, that the community around us would feel it. would be impacted. And we may not, I don't know how to quantify that exactly, and we may not be there entirely yet, but we're certainly going that direction, getting more and more involved in our city, in our neighborhoods, and I praise God for that. Uh, So with the Lord's help, we can be the kind of church that if you're an atheist or you're an agnostic and you live around here, and you, you don't believe all the same things that we believe, that you're still going to say, you know, I don't buy into all of their ideas, but I have to admit, that's a pretty amazing group of people. That's, the first, that's first and foremost how we witness to our world that Jesus is risen. So you see, being a witness for Jesus isn't really that Complicated. It starts with deciding that we will be the church. We're going to be in this place, the kingdom of God. Um, we will make the choice to be devoted to the Lord and devoted to His people. So this morning, just wrapping it up, just kind of giving you a couple of decision points. It may be that you need to cross the line of faith and be baptized into Jesus Christ this morning, launch into that journey, a connection, reaching up, and being connected to God through His grace, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but also being connected to His people. Or maybe this morning, you need to circle up with somebody on your pew, or a family member, spouse, or small group, uh, or connection group, and just circle up and pray about something going on in, in your world. However, the Spirit is inviting you this morning to respond. We would encourage you to do that as we stand together and worship.